the Calvary Podcast from Calvary Baptist Church, Knoxville, Tennessee. Check us out on the web at knoxcalvary.com. Good morning. My name is Dan, and I'm a pastor here at Calvary. And it's good to see some of you guys back from the summer. Did you have a good summer? Good break? Yeah. Yeah, good, good. Well, that's over. Um, Back to work. I'm kind of feeling that myself. I, typically, we don't do a lot of vacations. I'm so dedicated and so so faithful to this place that I don't I don't ever want to leave. But they drug me away, and we had such a good time. We had a really good time. Great vacation. I actually did something pretty rare this year because it's our 30th wedding anniversary. And uh, yeah, yeah, and 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 family vacation. I got to do two vacations. Uh, this summer. I'm pretty worthless. <laughs> I just... <sighs> okay. Um, I do that all the time, wherever I am. I just stop and go, man. But um, today I'm feeling a little pressure because I know some of you have been home all summer and you're from some really cool churches. You've got some awesome pastors. And I know we have some guests here today who uh, you go to really good churches. And I'm just I'm feeling that pressure, you know, I'm just feeling that pressure like, ah, oh, I'm looking out there and I'm seeing folks from some, some of my favorite churches around the U.S. And I don't know if I can do this or not. So I'm just going to read to you. No, I'm not going to do that. I could play a, a videotape of one of your favorite pastors because I'm feeling that kind of thing. You know what that's like to feel pressure? Just to be under pressure, you're about to. Some of you guys just starting back school and you, you know that pressure's coming back again. That's kind of a common thing for all of us, really, but it comes at us in different ways. And it takes different shapes, um, different, different expressions for different people. You know, one thing that bothers you may not bother me. I may just roll with that and go, yeah, it really doesn't get me. But then things that just, just, make me crazy and don't bother you. Here's some examples of what I'm talking about. Maybe you'll be able to feel and be reminded of some of that pressure. Check this out. This is what a, a woman, and I just called her woman. Um, I'm under tremendous pressure from my son these days. I can't seem to satisfy him. However hard I work, he really puts me under pressure. Now listen to this. This is a young man. Um, I thought that was funny just to do them like that. No, okay. um, my parents have fantastic goals for me to take over the family business. It's not what I want to do, but their pressure is unbearable. Listen to this. College woman. I'm being pressured by my boyfriend to have sex before we're married. You know, sort of try it out to see if we're right for each other. Oh, pressure. Pressure. Okay, look at this. Husband. My wife is never satisfied. Who amen? Husband. Okay. Whatever I do, however much I make, it's never enough. Life with her is like living in a pressure cooker with the lid fastened down and the heat on high. (laughs) It's like a country song, doesn't it? Look at this. Secretary pointing to phone. So you can visualize the moment. That little black thing's driving me crazy. 
At the other end of the line are people who make impossible demands and they think they are the only people alive. Never felt that, have you? Never felt that. Middle-aged wife. My husband thinks my faith is silly. And when I feel his resistance to Christ, I wonder if I'm wrong and confused. As a result, I've developed two lives. One with him and one when I'm with my Christian friends. Felt that. Look at it. Listen to this. Elderly woman. My sister thinks she has all the answers about the faith and tries to convince me of her point of view. And I feel pressured to become her brand of Christian. But I keep thinking, if it means being like her, I don't want it. <laughs> when she calls, I just put the phone on my shoulder and I let her rant while I do other things. A half hour later, she's still on the line, blasting away, and I still feel the pressure. Feel the pressure. Young pastor. This is the last one. I hardly know who I am anymore. There are so many points of view in my congregation. I can't please them all. Everyone wants to capture me for his camp and get me to shape the church around his or her convictions. And the pressure just makes me want to leave the ministry. Pressure. You ever feel like any of those people? Yeah, I think we all do. You ever feel like you're in a, 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 this pressure cooker or, or maybe you're being pulled in one direction and pushed in another direction all the time? I mean, we all have pressures, right? But to me, the hardest thing to deal with is people pressure. You know, I mean, I know there's you got deadlines and, you know, there's circumstances and there's schedules and there's papers to write. And, oh, I forgot we got a test tomorrow. And, oh, the debt, you know, and all of that and responsibilities of life. I feel a lot of pressure from that. But it's more about responding to people. After all, people are the ones who have these expectations, you know. And, oh, hey, what about this? What about that? How do you respond to that? How do you respond when you feel people around you putting pressure on you? Yesterday, we were uh, at Operation Contact, and we're helping people unload. And uh, I went around to the back of this SUV, and we lifted up, and we said, Hey, hi, good morning, you know, and we're here to help you unload and everything. And this, 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 this daughter comes around. Maybe you're here today, and if you are, I'm just going to ask you to come up here and stand. Because no, 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 I, like, I love to embarrass people. Um, but she, she came around the corner, and her mother said, We're never going to get all these clothes. And to be honest, she did have, like, whoa, like her whole, entire wardrobe. It may not have been. It may have been like a third of a wardrobe. But she had all these clothes, you know, and I'm like, well, you know what? We'll get them up there for you, but you're never going to fit these in that little box, you know, that little room they call a dorm. So her mother said, this is not going to work. This is not going to work. You're just going to have to. And this is her. If you're here, too, I think I do you pretty good, okay, if you're here. <laughs> I think you're, this is not going to work. We're not going to. We're never going to. And the daughter stands there, and she's going like, Mother. They both had the same gestures, except the mother's like this and the daughter's like this. Mother, we talked about this. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what to do. I'm like, we'll come back. I'm feeling so much pressure. And in my heart, I thought, baby, you think you're feeling pressure. Just getting moved into your room. Wait till this semester gets really cranked up. This is going to be kind of tough. 
how do you respond? I mean, do you allow yourself to be manipulated by the pressures of other people who are trying to get you to do their deal? You know how that is? And you, get, you fall under their demands. And in the midst of that, are you able, uh, under all that pressure, to think clearly, to make good decisions? Do you act on what you believe is the leading of God? Or do you just react to the people around you? You just keep those plates spinning and, and try to make sure that everybody's happy. I used to work at an ad agency as a layout artist, and on the wall of my old boss's office, there's this drawing depicting him, and it was, it was pretty good. Uh, and he's got this mean look on his face, and he had these huge furry eyebrows, and th- those were kind of down, and out from under those were his, you know, uh, eyes of flames. And there was a caption under the, the picture that said this, I don't live under pressure, I create it. <laughs> We've all worked for that guy, right? You all know that person. Maybe it's your mama. Um, there's a lot of truth there. Some of us live under pressure, but some of us, to avoid that, we just create it for other people. We just keep everybody else pressurized, and you know, just by the force of our will, uh, we create environments in which people feel compelled to adopt our point of view, uh, to do our bidding, to behave in ways that we kind of choose or prefer. And the methods may change, you know. Maybe your dad's real angry and he puts pressure because he just acts so mad. Maybe your, your sister's a powder. I just, fine, whatever you want to do, you know. And she just pouts and, you know, everybody's got their different deal that you learned by age six. Oh, this works for me. If I pitch a little hissy fit, I can pressure people into doing what I want them to do. And if I do it in the restaurant, it works even better. You know? you, you, yeah, those of you children, you know what I'm talking about. I'll come back to that. Um, we, we feel that pressure. Well, there's a guy in the Bible, uh, his, his story, part of his story is in Mark chapter 6, who was under a lot of pressure. Uh, and he didn't handle it so good. His name is Herod Antipas. Uh, and this story that we're going to talk about today is really just it's this sad commentary uh, about Herod and, and how we get so tangled up in this web of relationships and people pressure all the time that ultimately, and here, here's the big thing, ultimately we decide to do stuff that we don't want to do, but we do it anyway. I look back on my life and I realize a lot of the decisions that I've made, some good, but a lot of horrible decisions, a lot of just, excuse me, just stupid stuff, dumb things that I did in my life that I knew were wrong, that I knew weren't going to lead anywhere. It's going to have consequences. It's going to spin out of control. I do it anyway, mostly because my friends wanted me to, or it just seemed like a funny thing at the time or whatever. Herod gets caught in something like that. I don't think we got this scripture for you, but, but listen to this because this kind of sums it up. The Bible says in verse 26, And although the king was very sorry, yet because of his oaths and because of his dinner guests, he was unwilling to refuse her. You know what that's like. You give in to pressure. People pressure forced Herod to do something that he knew was wrong. He knew it wasn't the right thing. He did it anyway. And I think that motivates a lot of us. And it's possible that we can see in this account of Herod's that we're going to make the same mistake. And we're going to do it again and again and again. So my mission today 
is to help you with that. To maybe get you to think a little bit. Help me to think a little bit about where's this pressure coming from? How am I going to respond to that? And hopefully, this is my dream, my wish is that you will get more than you bargained for by coming to church today. Because you'll not only figure out, oh, I can deal with pressure a little better than I am. And there's methods I can use that we're going to work, you know, in, in a more efficient way. But we also may come to see ourselves too often as those that create pressure for other people. Because doesn't it seem true that people who create pressure, sometimes they're really not aware that they're that guy? <laughs> they're not the ones that... Me? I'm not creating any pressure. <laughs> and you just want to punch them, but you don't. Um, okay, here's the funny thing about this. Uh, Herod, Jesus, in talking about Herod in another place in the Scripture, or in Luke, he calls Herod... He said, you tell Herod, that fox, that I said that, that this. He calls him a name. Now, in our culture, fox isn't so bad. I mean, it's kind of got a little glory. In fact, in my generation, and we're all celebrating Woodstock this weekend, to call somebody a fox was actually a complimentary thing. Mm, she's stone cold fox, you know? And that was a, I know you don't do that anymore, but, um, but that's what we, that was a good thing to say. Oh, baby, you fox, you know? And we would, that's what we would say. Um, a fox in that generation, in Jesus' time, it was like calling somebody you tell Herod, that skunk, now you get it? You tell Herod, what a weasel. And he's calling him this name of an unclean animal. Now you think, that didn't sound like Jesus. It was. Check this out. Jesus called people names sometimes. <laughs> WWJD. Um, he said, fool, you hypocrite. You serpent, you snake, you child of hell, you blind guide, you whitewashed tomb, you vipers, you murderers. Are you walking through the restaurant and this child is just going crazy and he's disrupting your meal and you've saved up forever to pay for this date. And this little monster is ruining your meal. Used to be one of my monsters. Now they're, they're all grown up and they're trying to be the ones on, on the date. You just stop by their little table and you look down in the midst of all the mushed food and the broken up crackers and say, you little child of hell. <laughs> Is that what Jesus would do? No, no. <laughs> okay, he did that. I just couldn't. No. But you know what? The difference is Jesus knew their hearts. He knew their character. You don't. So I'm not giving you a license to call people names and to say, just being like Jesus. <laughs> WWJD, okay? I'm just trying to... No, there are other ways you can imitate him. Um, you don't have that authority. This little section of Mark's gospel is kind of a parenthesis because he's, he's giving this account. He's going through this chronology and he stops because it's like, oh, I got to bring you up to speed on what happened with John the Baptist. Because he's a you know, major player. He's, he's, a, he's a big gun in this section. And, he, and what happened to him? John the Baptist had been beheaded by Herod. And now that Jesus has come onto the scene, some, including Herod himself thinks, oh, this is John come back to life. Why Herod would think that, but that's what he thought. Oh no, John's come back to haunt me. 
um, and he's been raised from the dead. In the case of Herod, I, I kind of think maybe it was a cry of like a guilty conscience. He knew he'd done the wrong thing, and he's thinking about this. And all of a sudden, he goes right back to John. Oh, it must be John. Um, but there's this little historical sketch that's written into the gospel right here that gives us insights into the pressures that Herod gave into to act even against his own conscience. Even though the whole time he's thinking, this is not right, this is wrong, I'm going to do it anyway. So what I want us to do is to understand uh, this story a little better and keep that as a central truth that what happened to Herod can and often does happen to us too. Let me give you a little bit of background about this because this this is unbelievable, okay? This is, here's the thing. The, Herod, the New Testament speaks of several Herods. And that maybe that gets you confused a little bit because you think, oh, wait, is that the Herod? Wasn't he the guy? Okay, there was Herod the Great. Uh, he was king when Jesus was born. And what he's known for is the massacre of the children in Bethlehem because he's trying to, you know, this guy who may be prophetically the king, uh, he doesn't like that. He's, he's threatened, he's scared about that, so he thinks, just kill them all. He, that's what he's known for. That was Herod. Now, Herod the Great married a number of women, had a number of, of children, had some sons by them. Actually, several of them were murdered by their own father uh, in restaurants while they were... Um, no, but the, um, among those was Herod Antipas, um, the Herod of this passage. And then there's Herod Philip. So they're, they're half-brothers. And then they have another half-brother named Aristobulus. Now, Aristobulus had a daughter named Herodias. She married Herod Philip. And they, in turn, had a daughter named Salome. Isn't this a plot like from a reality show? It, 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 it's, and it's in the Bible. On a visit to Rome one time, Herod Antipas uh, met his brother Philip's wife, Herodias. She's really ambitious, pretty manipulative, deceitful. She sees in Antipas her ticket to, to power, to influence, everything she wants to do. So Herod takes her away from her brother, and they come back to Palestine together. Isn't this sordid? I mean, this is just such a messy affair. And you, can ha- you have to remember that Herodias was Aristobulus's daughter, who was Philip's half-brother. That made Herodias Philip's niece. Philip married his niece. Isn't that creepy? And now, his half-brother steals her away from him. That's the background. (laughs) Herod's a big deal, uh, but he's... I mean, this is nuttier even than my family. (laughs) You think your family's crazy? Check check Herod out. Um, So that's what's going on. And everybody brings a different kind of pressure, and they all contribute to Herod's downfall. Now, the first person that we see who is is really kind of a pressure maker in this story, a pressure pusher, is the wife of Herod's brother, Philip, whom he unlawfully... I mean, this wasn't done even in their culture. This was not cool. He marries this, this person, and she becomes this just constant uh, person of, of pressure. She's some, so she just seeks her own way. Uh, she'll do whatever it takes, whatever means necessary. She is, you know, like the queen manipulator. Uh, and she acts just out of her own personal ambition. 
Well, whenever Herod brought Herodias back to Jerusalem, he's encountered by John the Baptist. Now, Herodias hates John the Baptist. And one of the reasons is, probably the reason, is because he's, he's so confrontational. He's one of those people that just gets in your face. He's not real nice and come up and go, excuse me, Herodias, but I don't think that's right. And I just, I just wonder if we should, can we talk? I mean, he is not that kind of guy. He's like, hey, yeah, you, you know, he, and everybody's looking going, oh my goodness, he's yelling at the queen like that. And he would just bust them. In fact, he thunders out in front of everybody. It's not lawful for you to be married to your brother's wife. What's up with that? Hey, Herod. And everybody's like, shut him up. Get him. But they can't do it. So Herodias is there. She's embarrassed like crazy. I mean, can you imagine how embarrassing that is? So, but he just keeps yelling things like that. But she knows. They know, everybody knows he's preaching the truth. And they just don't like that exposed. So here's what the scripture says in verse 19. And Herodias had a grudge, you think, against him and wanted to kill him, but could not do so. The reason that she could not put John to death was because Herod understood a deeper truth than did his wife. In verse 20, we're told, For Herod was afraid of John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man and kept him safe. And when he heard him, he was very perplexed. But he used to enjoy listening to him. He liked his sermons. He liked he podcast the guy. He, he liked him. So Herodias had to keep her anger inside and wait for just the right moment. Well, that moment would come. The day came soon enough, and she made her move. Here's what happened. Listen to this in verses 21 to 28. And a strategic day came when Herod, on his birthday gave a banquet for his lords and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. Big party. And when the daughter of Herodias herself came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you want. That's okay. Um, And I will give it to you. And he swore to her, Whatever you ask of me, I will give to you up to half of the kingdom. Score. And she went out and said to her mother. Remember, she's because she's the manipulator and Salome's right in there. What shall I ask for? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. <laughs> Immediately, without a hesitating. She came in haste before the king and asked, saying, I want you to give to me right away the head of John the Baptist on a platter. <laughs> and although the king was very sorry, yet because of his oaths and because of his dinner guests... He was unwilling to refuse her. This is so sad. And immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded him to bring back his head. And he went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. Herodias set him up. She decides to give this birthday banquet. And she has the guest list, and she invites all the right people. It's the the event of the season, and all the cool people are there. And she used her own daughter uh, to dance before Herod and his guests. Now, this dance is usually done by a um, professional dancer. Actually, it's kind of 
Well, you know what? I'm not even going to talk about it. I'm just, I'm not even going to describe it to you. Okay, it's not Soul Train. <laughs> it's, um, any, any event, okay, Herod was consumed by his own lust. And a res, as a result, he makes this ridiculous, he makes this foolish promise. He says, I'll give you whatever you want. You name it, girl, and you got it. Up to half the kingdom. Salome then goes to her mother and says, Oh, Mommy, what should my request be? What do you think? And, and, and she just, without hesitating, her mother said, The head of John the Baptist. This is the moment I've been waiting for. So when Herod heard this, he realizes, oh, I've been such an idiot. This is so foolish. Why did I do this? It comes home to him. He regrets it right away. But he looks around and everybody's watching him. You know how it is when you're under pressure and everybody's looking? It's not like just pressure when you're by yourself. It's pressure and you look around. Oh, everybody's looking at me. So he gives her the head of John the Baptist. He knows that's the wrong thing. Herodias was a pressure pusher. And to a certain degree, we can all be that. We all become like that sometimes. Hey, let me ask you this. How do you go about trying to influence people? How do you get people around you? What methods do you use to get your will accomplished? Do you ever withhold affection until somebody's done what you want? Do you use that like a weapon? Do you ever use power or retaliation or rejection to keep people in line? What do you do? How do you do you ever continue to push harder and harder or nag or just, you know, just be repetitive about your, your thing? And, and, and after a while, you know, they've heard you and they're going to give in. Do you manipulate and do you, do you set people up uh, just to get your point across or to straighten somebody out? We can live in situations with people like that, either as those under pressure or as those pushing that pressure on people or at different moments we're, we're, we're both sometimes we're both and I've seen people live like that in their marriages the way they relate to each other and their mate I've seen families the way you relate to your parents or your, your children I've seen roommates do that to each other I've seen entire churches uh, manipulate and influence and, and try to control folks we've got to be aware of that We've got to be aware of being like that because it happens in dorms and on teams and in jobs. Anywhere there's a place filled with people, pressure is going to happen. In Salome, we see somebody who's kind of, she's not really a pressure pusher so much. She's kind of a pawn, you know. She's just like, what, you know. And uh, It doesn't seem that Salome had any problem with John the Baptist herself. She, you know, she didn't relate to the guy. It wasn't part of her, her thing, you know. She was simply this willing, whatever mommy says. She wants to do whatever mom says. So she's somebody her mother knows, I can use her. And she does. And this ploy, you know, is just skillfully executed. And, and her mother has this scheme, and she just fits right into it. So she does. Sometimes we can be used by people in their attempt to put pressure on somebody else. And they just look around, and you're handy. They know you'll say this or that, that you'll do that. You've got to kind of watch out for that. 
I've seen that happen. Of course, I live in church world. I live in this this kind of bubble. So I see that happen a lot in church. You know, one person will use another person to send a message to these people or or to the to the pastor or to a leadership team or their community group, whatever. They'll they'll want their influence to be felt, but indirectly. You know, and, and you're from a lot of different churches, right? So, you, you know, you, you've heard people say, well, I've heard a lot of people talking. Or, you know, some people in the church feel like, hey, no, just, be, just, say, just say, hey, I think. You know, be man enough or woman enough just to, to, to do that. But people sometimes will want their influence out there. So they'll use a friend. They'll use a group. They'll build a team around their idea to share a complaint or an idea or a concern with somebody they know this will get it right. You know, and you do it, you see it in your family. My family has been famous for my extended family. You know, it's like, well, I didn't want to say anything, but your aunt is really, you know, and, and then all of a sudden and then you get on the phone and go, well, uh, she said aunt, we go, well, I don't, well, let me tell you, put your, let me talk to your mama. You know, and, and you think, ah, and before long, Christmas is really awkward. You know, and everybody's tense, and you think, well, how did we get here? Because that's what happens. We've got to guard against both using people and being used ourselves. We've got to wake up to that. And don't miss out on Herod's friends, okay? They didn't say anything. They're just quiet. And these are the pressure perpetuators. And I had to practice saying that word in my office because every time I say it, it sounds like the original Tweety, you know. Oh, I thought I thought a pepper tweeter. <laughs> That's the way it comes out. And I thought, okay, I'm going to say it. Now I just did. But there's, there's people who just perpetuate the, the circumstance. And while all this is going on, everybody's watching. Everybody's got, they're just sitting there. And Herod made this promise, this, 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 foolish, this foolish thing he does to Salome, and the Bible says, not one person spoke out. Nobody questioned him about the implications of this, and nobody said, hey, hey, Harry, excuse me, think this through. What are the consequences? Are you sure this is the direction you want to go with this? When the head of John the Baptist was asked for again, nobody speaks out, nobody questions this terrible thing, everybody's silent. And in their silence, they perpetuate this pressure that Herod feels. In fact, I think they participate in that evil thing. I think you do the same thing. Every time you see somebody pushed around and you don't take a stand, you see something wrong, and you go, you know what? No. When you just go along and pretend like, I'm cool with that, everything's okay, unbelievable things like a, a beheading, you know, it, it can take place. Nobody jumps up and says, Herod, you fox! Stop it! What you can't kill this guy just because she did this dance. What are you thinking? Nobody said that. I kind of think if somebody had, he'd have gone. You know what? Wait, wait. You're right. That's what am I? I can't, that, whoa! Talk about boundaries. I, I I can't do that. But nobody did. Nobody did. Do we keep silent when we see other people being manipulated and pressured? Do we just sit there and watch to see how they're going to handle it and what's going to happen next and how will they do in this? Do we, in doing so, add to the pressure that that person feels because they know you're looking at them? Or do we speak up and give them the freedom to be the unique people that God has created us to be? Especially during my adolescence, I think, as a teenager, 
I went along with stuff and I saw guys do the dumbest things because we're all standing there watching them. You remember, you know that feeling. Some of you now would do that, you know, and you're standing up there and you're going, yeah, oh man, I got to jump now because everybody's looking at me. And I'm probably going to die, but dying is better than, you know, the shame and everybody for the rest of my life going, oh, you wouldn't jump, dude. You're so baby girl. You know, so you do it. And maybe not like that, but you, you get under a lot of pressure. The big thing is this. The person that we need to please is God. The question we have to ask at times like that is not what will they think, but what will he think? What's God going to think about what you do next? There's pressure everywhere. There's grades and there's promotions and there's, there's parties. There's these situations and circumstances you get in. And all of a sudden there's this pressure from people and, it, and, it, and there's the pressure we put on ourselves. You know, maybe that's the worst. There are today 3,723 students in the incoming freshman class at the University of Tennessee this fall. That average freshman has a high school GPA of 3.79. Average ATC score, ACT score this year was 26.5, just three points lower than what I made. I can't remember it, actually. It was somewhere, I think it was like that. 99% of those students qualified for the Hope Scholarship this year. What I'm saying, guys, you are an intelligent and successful generation. You're going to love the University of Tennessee. You're going to love Knoxville. And in the midst of a lot of work... And a lot of pressure. You're going to have so much fun over the next few years. If. If you learn to handle the pressure of college. If not. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how pretty you are. And what a great athlete you were back home. You're going to fold. You're going to be defeated. And it will be here in those moments, in those, at those pressure points, when you give in, in areas, you know, there's going to be things you've never experienced before and opportunities and freedoms you've not had yet. And, and you're, you're going to have more choices and more decisions to make uh, than at, at any time before now. What are you going to do? Here's the key to withstanding the pressures that come on us. And this is true whether you're an incoming freshman, whether you're a high school student, whether you are grinding it out, heading toward retirement. We see it best evidenced in the life of Jesus himself. Jesus knew what it was and what it was like to endure the pressures of people. I mean, think about it. Everybody was wanting Jesus to jump through their hoops. Everybody wanted him to perform for them, to say the things they wanted him to say in the right way. He was under that pressure every day of his life. There were the Sadducees. They wanted him to stay out of politics. Jesus, don't talk about that and don't, don't, you know, don't be involved in that. There were the Pharisees. We just want you to respect our denomination and our traditions and just kind of go with the flow and be religious like we're religious. 
They were the zealots who didn't want any part of that. You know, they, they wanted him to, let's overthrow Rome. <laughs> you know, these are the guys like, yeah, you know, they were, let's set up a kingdom. Jesus, it'll be so cool. You know, they were those people. Everybody had an agenda and everybody wanted Jesus to buy in. Jesus, be one of us, be in our group. Come on, come on, we, we could use a guy like you. And Jesus responded to none of those pressures. You know what he did? He simply sought the will of his Father in heaven, and he did that instead of reacting to everybody else. He acted. He never did anything because of the pressure of the people around him, ever. He never worried, oh, John, what are people saying about me? Hey, hey, Peter, what do the latest polls say? Do they like me? Am I still kind of popular with people? Jesus never did that. Because he was on a mission to do the Father's will. That was his first and his only priority. There, weren't any, there was nothing else going on. It was just clear. It was so simple for him. Hey, folks, we're on a mission And it begins this week. For many of you, this is day one. And if we're going to find victory over all the pressures of life and all the, the people around us, we've got to come to the same understanding of our life's purpose, the same understanding that Jesus had. We've got to get this, that we're here to glorify God. You're here to lift Him up. That's my life's purpose, not because I'm a pastor. But because I'm the man that God made me to be. And that's who he's designed for you to be. That's the woman that he he longs to emerge out of your personality and in your life. Jesus never worried about what's going on with everybody else. When you seek, you know, this is what I'm going to do. I'm just going to give God glory today. I'm just going to live for him. He is going to just so bust that pressure. You're going to feel an immediate relief. You are. Even in the middle of whatever your circumstance is. And I know you got all kinds of stuff going on and everybody's at different places. People may not like it when you do that. But they never have. They never have. They killed prophets. They killed Jesus. I mean, you know, when you're faithful to God, sometimes, I know this sounds unbelievable, but sometimes people are going to oppose you. They're not going to like you. They're not going to invite you to the party. You're, you're not going to be in certain places at certain times. They're not always going to like what you're doing or what you stand for or what you say. But I think that's kind of cool because it's always been very difficult to domesticate a real prophet. It's always been hard to shut up a genuine disciple. It's always been hard to hold back a real follower of Jesus. And what the world needs now, what this university needs now, what your high school campus needs now, what your family needs now, what Knoxville needs now, are people with enough courage that we decide we will not be lukewarm Christians. But we're going to make a difference. We're not those who are just getting up every day and reacting to the pressure. We are those who are responding to God. And I promise you, if you will just do that one thing, you're going to have so fewer regrets. You're going to be much happier and you are going to change your world.
You are going to rock your generation for Jesus. And when you resist the pressure, and when you just follow him. And I'll make you one other promise. For those of you who just set foot in this place for the first time, or maybe you're in your senior year, we will be here to walk with you on that journey. And we will be here to help take some of the pressure off. So depending on where you are in life, the pressure is going to be different. Um, Why not do this? Today, bring that pressure to him. I want you to think about where you're feeling the most pressure right now. Could be from a boyfriend. It could be from, you know, your dad. It could be from your boss. It could be from uh, financially. Or I don't know. I don't know what's going on with you. But where are you feeling that pressure? Would you be willing to risk letting go of that? I mean, what? How good is it done holding on to it, right? I mean, how, how's that working for you? No, I'll just hold on to this pressure and I'll deal with it myself. How's that working for you? Why not do this? Let it go. Just release that to the Lord. I think it helps to do that in a real specific way, to decide to act instead of react. So what I'm going to give you an opportunity to do right now, and we've designed this part of our service for this purpose, is for you to make a decision. I'm going to let go of this. I'm going to release this pressure to you, Lord. And if you'd like to, you can use these steps as uh, like an altar or something. You know, you could just come down here and just kneel and just even hold your hand up in a symbolic way and say, Lord, I'm just giving you this pressure. I don't know what else to do with it anymore. And I don't want to go into the fall carrying this around, this burden anymore. So I give you this pressure in Jesus' name. What could we do as a room full of people who are out from under the pressure of everybody else? And we're free to live however God wants us to live. Whatever he wants us to do next, we can step in that direction. This would become a powerful force, a room to be dealt with. Let's make those decisions right now. I'm going to begin with a prayer, and then you're free to move around the room, to come up here and to kneel, to stay right where you are. Whatever you want to do, whatever works for you. Let's deal with those pressures right now. Would you stand, please? Father, I want to thank you in the name of the Lord Jesus for giving us this day and for giving us an opportunity to worship you together. I always look forward to Sundays, and I miss my church family so much. Uh, when I'm away from Calvary, Lord, I just, uh, I'm homesick. And I thank you for bringing students back to us today and for families being back from their vacations. And Lord, we look forward to this season. And we believe that you want to bust some of the pressures that we're under. We believe that you want to set us free um, from maybe even the influence of uh, some of the people that we're around, and we love them, Lord, but we don't want to live under pressure like that anymore. So I ask that today you'd get us started on the right foot. And give us the freedom and the liberty to follow you in obedience and to live a life that brings glory to Jesus. Amen.